Welcome to audio fiction from Vox Fabula. This is Summer Spectre by Nikki Lazell, read by John Prusinski. I accepted the spooky quality of my large, gloomy Victorian house as part of its general ambience. Footsteps were heard up and down stairs that had long since been dismantled, and an inexplicable chill, which neither a cheerful fire in the hearth nor a sunny day could dispel, pervaded one room. It was not these things that drove me out. In the end, the price of repairs to the old place, which was crumbling at the seams, exceeded the means of my pocket. I sold it and moved into a square, modern house with no dry rot or woodworm, no corners for cockroaches to lurk in and no holes for mice to hide in. No one had ever died in this house. No tragic scenes had been played out within its walls. Its atmosphere was wholesome, clean, and hygienic. I loved it. I was hanging curtains at the patio windows and admiring the view. In the garden was a well-stocked fish pond. The sun was high in a clear blue sky. A water lily in full bloom floated on the glittering surface of the water. I saw Mungo, my fat old tabby cat. He'd been sulking about the move and the loss of his familiar haunts. Now, however, he had obviously found something to his liking. Crouched on the rim of the pond, he was absolutely still except for the tip of his tail, which was twitching. The sight of the large, succulent golden carp swimming about, lazy and slow, must have overcome his natural caution. He sprang for the wide lily pad, landed with a splash, and sank. I rushed out and knelt beside the pond. The water was green and dark. Nothing was visible but the broken, crushed lily and pale, glimmering bodies of fish. Wading in, I found only slimy weeds that grabbed at my ankles. I tripped and fell, swallowed brackish water, and dreadfully felt something soft and furry brush my arm. My blundering about had disturbed the water, making it clouded, opaque. I was groping about in the slime, searching for his little drowned body, when Mungo surfaced on the other side. He was swimming valiantly. I sloshed over to rescue him, but he scrambled out, shook himself, and stalked off with as much dignity as a failed goldfish hunter could muster. It was only then that I saw the stranger. He stood on the rim of the pond, obviously amused by the scene he had just witnessed. I waded out with clothes clinging wetly to my body and water dripping from the end of my nose. Uncomfortably conscious of my bedraggled appearance, I unhooked a length of weed from my ear and raised an inquiring eyebrow. Hello, he said with a smile. (sighs) Can I help you? was my weak response. I've got a job to do, he replied. I'm the new owner, I stated haughtily, and I don't recall asking you to do any jobs. I might be able to find something if you'd like to come back in a few days, but I'm still unpacking at present. Don't worry about me, he said. I won't disturb you. I don't think you understand, I explained in a tight little voice. You've entered my garden without so much as a by your leave. I'm wet, 
I need a change of clothes, and I'm asking you to go. The smile on his face did not alter. I'm afraid I can't do that, he said. The goose pimples that rose on my flesh were not entirely caused by my sodden condition. I backed carefully toward the kitchen door, wondering if he was dangerous. I'm going indoors now, I said. You can leave by the way you came. Once inside, I locked the door and leant against it with a sigh of relief. Then I remembered I had left the patio windows open. I crept cautiously toward the living room and peered round the door. The room was unoccupied. I crossed and fastened the windows, then squelched from room to room, checking that he had not crept in while my back was turned. I felt rather foolish. He was probably quite harmless, but all the same his insistence had unnerved me. It seemed, however, that he had left quietly after all. I hoped I had seen the last of him. I stripped off my wet clothes and shoved them into the washing machine. From a suitcase waiting to be unpacked, I pulled a crumpled long T-shirt to cover my nakedness. Most of the windows were still without curtains. I opened a tin of Mongo's favorite food to help him over his ordeal. He had made a good breakfast earlier, and when he turned away from the food without interest, I put it in the fridge for later. He scorned my offer of a rub with a towel, licked himself dry, and curled up in his basket. After a bath, I decided to abandon the unpacking and follow Mongo's example. It was the hottest part of the day, and I felt exhausted. I took a cup of tea up to my bedroom. The bedroom curtains had been the first to go up, and I now drew them against the sun. Lying on the bed, I started to read, but fell asleep almost immediately, and dreamt about swimming about in a pond through which light shone with an eerie phosphorescent glow. I swam toward the light, but no matter how long I went on swimming upwards, I never reached the surface. Invisible hands reached out and dragged me into black dungeon depths where I struggled for air and finally had to let the water into my lungs. I woke, coughing. Staggering to the bathroom, I vomited tea and pond water. I felt slightly better and decided the situation definitely called for another cup of tea. In the kitchen, the washing machine was screaming its way through a spin cycle. In his basket in the corner of the kitchen, Mungo was sleeping through the din. All was well after all. I took my tea into the living room. To my horror, the stranger was sitting in an armchair, watching me calmly with the same sardonic smile on his pale lips. Until that day, I had laughed at the idea of people's knees knocking together when they were frightened, but mine did just that. Tea slopped into the saucer as the teacup rattled. I started to back out of the room. He said, Don't be afraid. I don't mean you any harm. My voice emerged high and squeaky. What do you want? Nothing, he replied. I want nothing from you, and I certainly can do nothing to you. He stood up and came towards me. My mouth went dry. I was uncomfortably aware that I was wearing nothing but a t-shirt. I knew I ought to move, run out of the front door, call for help. My legs refused to obey me. I tried to scream as he reached toward me, but only managed a little squawk. My body tensed in expectation of his touch, but his hand seemed to pass right through me. You see, he continued, I'm a ghost. Even while my natural skepticism was telling me that this was some kind of elaborate practical joke, the cold shiver in my spine insisted it was not. While these two considerations vied with each other in my nightmare-fuddled brain, 
My tongue, which had been frozen in my astonished mouth, moved again. Ghosts, I heard myself say indignantly, always want something. They usually haunt you until you pull down your house, dig up the foundations, and find their bones to give them a Christian burial. Or perhaps they'll give you no peace until you discover the crumpled brown document that vindicates their honor. Not I, he assured me. Nothing like that. Sit down, and I'll explain. My will to resist was at its lowest ebb. I staggered weakly over to an armchair and lowered myself into it. Placing my tea on a side table, I crossed my legs defensively and tugged down at the hem of my T-shirt. He perched himself on the edge of another and leant toward me confidentially. I'm not the sort of ghost who goes around haunting people, he began. I'm more what you might call a guide. You mean the sort of spirit guide who talks through mediums, I ventured, allowing only a faint trace of sarcasm to color my tone. I didn't want to appear taken in if it was a joke, but on the other hand, well, there's no harm in being circumspect. No, he said. You see, sometimes the dead don't realize they've died. They carry on as usual and only come to accept the truth when they realize they no longer exist for others. This can be very distressing to them. Only a few people, sensitives such as yourself, can see them. I'm here to assist those who are having difficulty, to help them make the transition. Sensitive? Surely if he meant I was psychic I would already know it. Though friends had claimed sightings in my old house, I had never seen so much as a skirt flick. I had a sudden horrible suspicion. Had I drowned in the pond? Was I kidding myself I was alive when I was really dead? I looked down at my hands. They were still shaking slightly, but looked very real. No, it's not you, he assured me. Mungo appeared and began to rub himself against the man's legs, definitely feeling their solidity. So it had been some sleight of hand that had fooled me into believing he was insubstantial. A flush of anger gave me courage. I don't know what your game is, you fraud, I shrieked. But I do know that animals recognize ghosts when they see them, and they don't like them. Animals, he said, fear the unknown, just as humans do. But Mungo understands now. Mungo purred, and when the stranger rose, he fell into step beside him. I watched helplessly as they both walked through the patio windows, and in the sunshine, faded away. This has been Summer Spectre by Nikki Lazell, read by John Prasinski. This story is copyright Nikki Lazell, audio performance copyright Vox Fabula. For more information about this author and more great audio fiction, please visit voxfabula.com. <laughs>